All right, let's take our Bibles and find our way to Mark's Gospel, chapter 2, immediately. That's Mark's word. Mark 2. Um, last week we saw the cleansing of the leper, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that here in a second. But I've titled this message, Last Call. Um... Because Levi, also, what, what's his other name that we know him by? Matthew. Matthew. Same guy. Levi was most likely the last disciple of the inner circle of 12 to be called until, by Jesus until we fast forward to Paul in Luke's account in Acts. Thus the title, Last Call. If you saw that title and thought 2 a.m., then we have an altar for you right here. Um, and, and don't even wait for the sermon to be over, just come on. Uh, Jay, one time I was, it was about 2.20 a.m., and I was coming out of downtown driving uh, the first call van for the funeral home. We had picked up a body at the, at the med center. I was driving out by the, what's the name of the big uh, library down there? Washington. Washington Library. And there's a police blockade. I'm like, what in the world? And I, I said to my partner, I said to, What's up with that? And he looked at me, he said, really? I said, yeah. He said, it's 2.20. I said, so? And he rolled his eyes. He said, the bars close at 2. And so they're checking everybody that's trying to sneak out of downtown. And I'm like, well, excuse me, I'm not in the habit of closing bars down as a pastor. <laughs> but he, he, could, he could not believe I didn't know. Jay, Jay says, you have no knowledge of that either, right? Okay. <laughs> But, but Matthew's the last disciple that gets called, and he's a rather unusual choice. <clears throat> and I find it interesting that um, to round out his group of unlikely world changers, he invites into this group one who is certainly going to be a catalyst, um, and that is a publican which was synonymous with the word sinner. You're going to hear that in a moment. And a tax collector, generally hated by all God-fearing Jews. So, Mark is on the move again in chapter 2. Last week we saw the servant's authority to forgive sin, a not-so-thinly-veiled revelation of the deity of the Messiah, because those religious leaders were thinking to themselves, who does this guy think he is? Only God can forgive sins, and they were right. Only Jesus was not a blasphemer. He was a proclaimer of truth. So he was, he was basically telling them pretty clearly who he was. Unfortunately, this begins a hardening of the religious leaders against Jesus. They were suspect but they were still letting him speak in their synagogues up to this point. And that's going to start to taper off pretty quickly. They were suspect of him, but now all the suspicion goes out the window and they become, they enter into an adversarial stance against this carpenter from Galilee. And, and it starts with the forgiving of sins and it's we're going to see 
that Mark will move quickly, imagine that, to pile on one critique after another. And these critiques will serve to display two things. Number one, the growth of the religious leader's adversarial stance against Jesus. And then number two, the growth of Jesus' popularity with the people, along with his rejection of rabbinical tradition. Not the law of God, but the traditions that the rabbis built around that law. And it's going to be a big problem for the religious leaders. Mark will start with the calling of a tax collector and the attendance of Jesus, along with his disciples, at a feast with sinners. Then they will question his commitment to the spiritual discipline of fasting. And then an all-out breaking of Sabbath customs, and it will end with a healing on the Sabbath itself. Jesus is pushing against their misinterpretation of God's Word. And boy, had they messed it up. They had missed it. All of this made the religious leaders his enemies. It cemented their hatred of Jesus. So let's dive in and take a look at the call of Levi today. First of all, I want you to see in the context of verse 13. We'll, we'll read this together. Let's read the whole section together beginning with verse number 13. Remember, we're coming off of the, uh, the healing of the paralytic. And now there's, this, this appears to be a gap in time. Um, verse 13, Then he went out again by the sea, and all the multitude came to him, and he taught them. Remember, starting with the leper, Jesus had a hard time getting into cities because too many people were coming. Too many folks were coming. Um, back that up, Sam. What, or Okay. Yeah, right there. So too many folks were coming to Jesus. And so Jesus had to go outside this, the towns to where there's wide open spaces, right? And if you could see the northern shore of Galilee, it kind of is a natural amphitheater. The, the hills all gently slope down in, into, the, into the shore of this great lake. And you, one could stand on that shore and be heard, they say, for over a mile. So all the crowds came out to Jesus, and he taught them um, in the wilderness. So what does that tell you? We, if his popularity was growing after healing the leper, after, after this event in Capernaum, it's really exploding. So a lot of people are coming. And with those people, who continues to show up but the religious leaders? All right? That's the first thing. All right, verse 14. As he passed by, so he's walking near Capernaum by the lake, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Verse 15. Now it happened, <coughs> as he was dining in Levi's house, that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples. Isn't it interesting? Jesus says, follow me, and, he, and Levi follows him, and Jesus goes to his house. Kind of like this 
uh, inviting yourself over for dinner. I don't know who does that. Uh, I've heard some people do. Uh, but invite themselves. When, when we were kids, uh, it was a thing in the neighborhood to find out what everybody was having for dinner. And then we'd all go to our favorite home. The only time we didn't really go to my house, my mom would cook. It would smell so good. It's like, oh, man, this is great. And then I'd walk in and find out it was liver and onions. The onions would smell good. Um, and then I would definitely find out what the, what the Ryans were having for dinner because I don't want to have that liver. Andy and Dad liked it. I think they were the only ones. And, and the dog, because he always got mine. <laughs> Sorry, Dad. You don't know you never do that, but uh, there it is. Uh, yeah, so he invites himself over to Levi's for dinner. All right, now let's continue uh, to, to read there. He says, and, um, Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. All right, so I think what this is saying here is this is more than just the 12. There were a, a bunch of disciples uh, we're going to see Jesus narrow these men down uh, to a specific group of 12 soon in chapter 3. All right, verse 16. Um, and when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, How is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? Verse 17. When Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well... Have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to what? What's that say? To what? Please underline that. Um, there's a lot of stupid teaching out there today that says that Jesus is just this nice guy. Basically, he's a first century hippie who loves everybody. And, and, and you're good, I'm good, I got nothing bad to say to you. No. Jesus went to dinner with a bunch of publicans and sinners in order to call them to what? Repentance. Repentance. Now, how Jesus did that, we don't always get the picture. But that Jesus did it is never left to our imagination. Amen? And repentance deals with sin. Jesus did not ignore the sin in the room. In fact, he went to dinner in order to expose it. It's going to become very important in a minute. Be very careful. You must be thinking people in the 21st century because there's a lot of really bad theology floating around in the form of memes and statements on Facebook. You must be able to discern the truth. All right, that's our text for today. So let's jump right in. And first of all, in your outline this morning, verse number 14, we're going to start with the call. The call. This is, of course, Jesus' call to a very unlikely candidate named Levi or Matthew. As he passed by, he, Jesus, saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, Sitting at the tax office. Well, of course he was sitting at the tax office. Now, remember what I told you last week. Capernaum was a, was a major city only because it intersected a bunch of trade routes. Because there were trade routes, what were they bringing in and out of Capernaum? Goods. Right? And the government is going to get its portion of those goods. Right? Taxes. And here is here we find... Right outside of Capernaum, before you could go in there or get out, just try to sneak out the back door. 
and grab a boat and get out of there and not pay your taxes, we have a tax office. Yep, y'all already shaking your heads. Y'all don't, you don't love the tax office? No. And I will say this here, and I don't think I'm far off from the Jews in the first century. Most of the taxation today in the United States of America is legalized theft. I'm going to tell you that straight. According to the Constitution of the United States and the Word of God, um, our, our government is set up very unbiblically. And the taxes we pay is mostly theft. I'll get off my soapbox now. But that was the same attitude in the first century, and they weren't wrong. The only thing they hated worse than paying those taxes was the guys that collected them. Because the Romans were nothing if not smart. They were super smart. What they would do, they, they could have easily put a Roman as the tax collector. That wouldn't have been a big deal for them, right? Snag somebody from Rome, you go collect the taxes. But they never did that. They always took local people. They always took local people because local people knew local people. And they knew the business of local people, and nobody was going to get anything by them. Also, because they were local, they would, have the, they would be able to extort from them the full amount of those taxes. And you think to yourself, why would a local person, especially um, a Jew, and his name was Levi, think tribe of Levi, right? Uh, which, and his name means consolation or comfort, uh, which he gave none of to his fellow Jews as a tax collector. <laughs> Why would Levi even want to do this job? For the money. These guys were extremely wealthy. And they were wealthy at, at, at the expense of their neighbors and at the behest of Rome. So Levi or Matthew, not a very welcome guy at Thanksgiving. Or in his case, Passover. You're not hanging out with him. And yet... Of all the people that Jesus could have called, and he had, we, we saw this in the beginning of the verse, he had many people following him at this point. He calls the least likely candidate, the guy sitting in the tax booth, Matthew. You know why that's funny, kind of, sort of? Because there's another guy that he's called. We're going to see him in chapter 3. His name's Simon, not Simon Peter. He's just known as Simon the Zealot. You know what his job was? He was basically a first century terrorist who hated Rome and anybody associated with Rome. So the last guy Jesus calls is a sellout Jew associated with Rome. I can't imagine what the conversation was like on the way to Matthew's house. You got to know that was interesting. Um, I, I, I truly think it must have been. I share this with you from, from one commentator. He said, The call to attach himself permanently to Jesus involved no small financial loss, yet it made good that loss uh, would be with infinite spiritual gain. Levi was perhaps the last of the twelve to be called. The fact that one of them should be selected from the despised class of publicans is highly significant. And this is interesting, too, is that Jesus gives the command here, follow me. And, and this is why grammar is important. It's in, it's in the present active imperative. 
present active imperative, which calls for Levi to continually make the choice to follow him. It's not just, hey, follow me today. The way Jesus forms this verb, this, this, and it wasn't a request. It's in the imperative. It's not, hey, would you like to follow me? No. He looks him in the eye, the guy in the tax booth, and says, follow me. In other words, not only follow me to your house today, you continue to follow me how long? The rest of your life. I am, I am calling you to walk in my dust, to do close life together with me. And that has some obvious implications for our tax-collecting friend. And, and, and I don't want you to miss it. Now, if, when you think of Matthew, who do you think of? What kind of a guy do you think of? If you're picturing Matthew as a high-functioning autistic man with an almost childlike demeanor, then I must remind you that the chosen is not Scripture. And it has an unhelpful effect on our minds, listen, if we picture it as we read Scripture. And only those of you that have watched The Chosen understand what I'm saying. It's not helpful because Matthew was not a highly functioning autistic man. But that's the way it's, he is depicted, and I will tell you, extremely well. That's the problem, I think, with, with, with uh, series like this, this one especially, is the incredibly high quality with which it is produced. And, and it can, if you're reading Scripture and you're seeing the chosen, I just want to warn you, be careful with that. I, I, I don't think that's helpful. But Matthew, at the end of the day, uh, he was really something. This call was legit. Matthew, follow me. And it meant something. It meant more than just follow me today is follow me forever. Here's my question to you. What happened to the gospel that is preached today when it's no longer follow me for the rest of your life, but come and make a decision, get your fire insurance, and then go live however you want to? That's not the gospel that Jesus preached. Embedded in the command was follow me and continue to do it the rest of your life. You daily follow me. That's New Testament Jesus kingdom gospel. Amen? And that's the gospel we've got to get back to preaching. A close friend asked Gandhi, if you admire Christ so much, why don't you become a Christian? It is said that he replied, when I meet a Christian who is a follower, follower of Christ, I may consider it. Yeah, that's an ouch. That's the problem. There's no such thing as a Christian who doesn't follow Christ. So that's the call. And he calls the most unlikely of people. And by the way, who's glad for that this morning? Can anyone say amen to that? Aren't you glad he calls the unlikely? I know you won't believe this, but I got a mom here who can testify. I'll tell you what. I was the most backward, shy teenager you ever met. Mom, we'd be shopping. Mom had to get me my first job because I wouldn't go in and get the application. Am I lying? Yeah. yeah. We'd be shop I'd be shopping with Mom, and she said, go to the deli counter and order a pound of bologna. Now, I wasn't really scared of Mom, but I was petrified of Dad. 
I would disobey her. I said, I ain't doing it because I don't want to have to talk to somebody. And I knew I was going to get in trouble from dad when, when we got home, but it was worth it. That's how backwards I was. And God would call the likes of me to preach the gospel. And I remember when I was struggling with that call, she, she must have sensed it in her spirit that I was struggling with that. And she asked me, I remember driving down the road one day. She said, you struggling with the Lord maybe calling you into the ministry? I'm like, good. Now, how did she know that? And I told her I was. I said, Mom, you know how I am. I'm not a talker. And I'll never forget, she said to me, son, you, one thing you don't understand. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And that joker sitting in the tax booth was the most unqualified guy on the roster. Everybody in the group hated him. Simon the Zealot is planning an accident for him as soon as they got to the nearest cliff. <laughs> this is not a good idea. The most unlikely of candidates, and yet we have the Gospel of Matthew. Thanks to God's uncanny wisdom in who he calls. And my question to you today is, is he calling you? He said, I don't know. If you can hear me, he is calling you. Amen? And he's calling you to follow him, not today, but every day for the rest of your life. That's the call. And I need to move on here. But the second thing I want you to see is the cost. How many of you know there's never a call without a cost? And that's what doesn't get preached anymore. In the last half of verse 14, Jesus comes to him, walks up like he's going to pay his tax and says, hey, Follow me. And that's a very specific command. And Matthew, Levi, he knew exactly what that meant. And I want you to look what he does. The last line. So he arose and followed him. And I know you see that. Kind of like I see that. It says, so what? So he checked, he punched out of work a little bit early and he, and he followed. No, that's not what it means. When it says he arose and followed him, he basically quit. He quit, I'm going to put it in our terms, he quit a heavy six-figure income to be homeless and follow a spiritual guru unknowingly to Matthew's ultimate martyrdom. Now, if you look at that on a piece of paper as a financial planner, that was a stupid move. But what I want you to notice is Matthew gives up everything and dedicates the rest of his days to walking in the dust of this king. And he gave up a lot. And the first thing he does is he throws a dinner party and he invites all of his tax-collecting sinful friends. Now the tax collector guys, the Jewish tax collector guys, they were generally guys that were on the edges anyway and they weren't really serious about doing right, being right. Those fringe people, there's a, they're a dime a dozen. Amen? And so he invites all of his other fringe people who are making really good money, and they have a feast. And then Jesus shows up with all his disciples, not just the 12, but a bunch. And who else obviously is there? The Pharisees and Sadducees. Isn't that interesting? Now, they're not eating with them, but they're there watching what's going on. And again, the home's there. He would have had a pretty decent-sized home, really big one, with a huge open courtyard so people could gather around and see what was going on. 
He basically quit. Following Christ will cost you everything. Write that down in your outline. Following Christ will cost you everything. And if it doesn't, listen to me, you're not following. It will cost you your life. You say, I've got to give my life to be saved? No. God takes care of that. But the rest of your life is His, and it will cost you everything you've planned because His plan is better than yours. Amen? Anyone can testify to that today. God's plan for your life is better than your plan for your life. It costs you everything. And I got to thinking about this because I'm teaching this in school right now. Um, Matthew gives it up, heavy six-figure income, to basically be homeless the rest of his life. I'm thinking, well, is he the only one? No, what about Peter and Andrew? Right? It wasn't all that earlier, much earlier. Jesus already knew them. They had spent some time together, but he gives them a specific follow me call. And what's the Bible say they do? They left it all. They left everything right there, and they followed him. And they walked down the beach a little further. Oh, there's James and John. Hey, guys, follow me. They leave Dad in the boat with the hired guys. They leave it all behind. And they what? Follow him. And then a little bit later, we're not there yet, but we're going to find it. He, he meets this rich young ruler. You remember this? And, 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 and he, he, what does he say to him? You like one thing. You guys, I kept the whole law, Rabbi. I've, I've, I've done the whole thing. And he really meant it. He probably had, as far as the externals of the law, he thought. And Jesus, I love Luke's version. He said, and, and Jesus loved, looked at him and loved him. And said, you lack but one thing. Go. Sell what you have. Give the money away to the poor. Follow me. And what does he do? He crunches the numbers. And he says, I can't do it. Why? I've got too much to lose. You with me? He didn't have as much to lose as Levi. Because Levi had to sleep next to Simon the Zealot. He might get shanked in his sleep. He didn't care. I mean, it was really that bad. These guys hated each other. And yet Jesus was a common denominator. Brought them together. He immediately rose and followed him. Left the keys, locked the office, left the keys with the Romans, said, I'm out. Which, by the way, was a dangerous move for him. He did not care. And then he invites all his buddies to come to dinner. Let me share this with you from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I need to, I need to keep moving. But here's what he says. He said, costly grace is, is the gospel which must be sought again and again and again. The gift which must be asked for. The door at which a man must knock. Such grace is costly because it, causes, it calls us to follow. And it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs, listen to this, it costs a man his life. It costs you your life. And it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It costs you your life, but it gives you the only true life. And... Um, it is costly because it condemns sin, and grace because it justifies the sinner. 
Above all, it is costly because it costs God the life of His Son. You were bought with a price. And what has cost God much, listen to this, what has cost God much must not be cheap for us. Did you hear that? Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon His Son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered Him up for us. And then he closes with this. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. We have preached grace to the exclusion of the high cost of being a true follower of Christ. Bonhoeffer also said this, The call goes forth, and it is at once followed by the response of obedience. The response of the disciples is an act of obedience, not a confession of faith in Jesus. Did you hear that? It is an act of obedience, not a confession of faith in Jesus. What's the old saying? Talk is what, church? You can say, you can say it. But you only say it after you start walking it out. It is a call to radical obedience. Here's a thought, and this is a side application, but I want you to consider it. The first thing Matthew does is he, get, he, he gathers all his buddies together and says, Hey, I want you to meet somebody. Now, do you think these guys had showed up at Jesus' meetings thus far? Pretty sure no, because they kept quite separate from the crowd. And, 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 and Matthew says, I want you to come meet somebody. And I'm sure, you know what this was? This was Matthew's retirement party. Right? Have you ever considered doing such a thing? You ever consider hosting a Matthew party? You say, what's a Matthew party? You just gather a few of your friends that, that are far from God, and you invite them over and say, I, I, I want to introduce you to somebody. And while they're there at dinner, enjoying your conversation, towards the end of dinner, you say, I just, I, I invited you here tonight because I just want five minutes of your time to introduce you to somebody who's radically changed my life. And you give them your elevator testimony. That's a testimony you can start on floor one and finish by floor ten. And you tell them what Jesus said, who I was before, how I tried to fix my sin, and what Jesus did to ultimately make me a new person inside and out, and what I'm doing now to, to uh, pursue God's original design for my life. And I want to invite you to do the same thing. It's a Matthew party. You can do it this week. Now I want you to look quickly at the, at the condemnation of verse 15 and 16. So we got the call. The call came with a cost. Matthew didn't even think about it. He arose and followed. He was glad to pay that price. But whenever you try to do something right, how many of you know People are going to talk about you. Amen? Right? And those super spiritual giants would say, Oh, well, at least if they're talking about me, they're not talking about somebody else. Oh, please. Look at verse 15 and 16. Now it happened, as he was dining in Levi's house, that many, underline that, many tax collectors and sinners, by the way, those words are synonymous, 
But it wasn't just the tax. Remember I told you about the fringe people? These are the fringe people. There are prostitutes there probably. These are people who would not be around the normal people, right? These were the people that are not invited to watch Jesus heal the paralytic. They weren't there at any of this. Is, this is a, a dinner party for the rest of Capernaum. You tracking with me? He invites all the lowlifes, the sinners, and the outcasts, both rich and poor, right? But these are the people who have not yet got to sit and hear this guy teach because they wouldn't be welcomed in pleasant company. It's a rough crowd, in other words. And Jesus is right in the middle of them. There he is with the, <laughs> the publicans and the sinners, the tax collectors. And the sinners, and they also sat together with Jesus and his disciples. See, that's the problem. For there were many, and they followed him, many disciples. So this is a big group of people, and they're intermingling. The righteous with the unrighteous, the saved with the lost, the insiders with the outsiders, right? And be careful here that you don't stumble into, into bad theology with this. Oh, there's a lot of bad theology. Jesus ate with the sinners, right? Uh, who are you to judge anybody? Jesus ate with the sinners in order to do what? What was his message? Repent! You are a sinner! That was his message. I read this on, on Facebook. It was a meme on Facebook. This is by Karen Drakes of Occupy Democrats. I'm just telling you what was on the bottom of, of the tagline for it. Here's what she said. Jesus regularly ate with prostitutes and thieves, and you're telling me that you can't bake a cake for a gay person. That is not the point. That is missing the point. That is called, in logic, a red herring. Right? That's distracting you from the truth of what was really going on. It's not... Not baking a cake for a, for a, 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 a same-sex wedding is not the same as Jesus eating with sinners and prostitutes. Would Jesus eat with, with LGBTQ people today? Absolutely, and so should you. Are you going to confirm them in their sin and help them by baking them a cake? Absolutely not, and neither would Jesus. He would call them to what? Repent. Good theology, folks. Don't be dissuaded, distracted, or disturbed by the stupid things that show up and that people are going to say about that. Jesus was not a first century hippie. He was a prophet, a priest, and most of all, he was a king to subdue sin in every form. Don't lose it or you can get messed up. By the way, notice who they go to who these religious leaders go to. They don't go to Jesus. Now, it happened as he was dining at Levi's house that many tax collectors and sinners also sat with, with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him, verse 16. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him, capital H, that's Jesus, eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, hmm, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? Isn't that something? You know what they're doing? They're trying to disciple the disciples. Listen, they're trying to evangelize the evangelized. And I'm here to tell you, every meme on Facebook, 
every show on TV or live streaming and every movie is trying to evangelize you. Calling you away from a true and pure walk with Christ. Casting dispersion on Jesus and who he was. Casting dispersion and doubt on the word of God. Be careful. Jesus ate with sinners, but he never confirmed them in their sin. Instead, his sermon was one of repentance first. So they go to the disciples trying to pull the, drive a wedge between Jesus and, and his closest followers. And notice they don't get a chance to answer because Jesus answers for them. So we have the condemnation here, but then we have the correction of Jesus in verse 17, and I love this. When Jesus heard it, so Jesus, Jesus gets word. He turns and he says to them, these religious leaders, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Look, look what he does. He does this all the time. Jesus uses the everyday to explain the eternal. Do you see what he did? He was a doctor. Would they understand a physician? Sure. They had sick people. He uses the everyday as an example to explain the eternal. He said, look, there is no such thing as a doctor who only sees healthy people. Right? Who goes to the doctor? Sick people. Right? He said, I did not come... To the righteous. Now, now he's, he, what he's not saying there, he's not calling the religious leaders righteous. That's kind of a tongue-in-cheek. He's being a little bit sarcastic and facetious there. He, he, he literally, and they got it. He said, oh, I didn't come for you righteous people. I came for these sinners. I'm the great physician that heals the sick. And in reality, the sickest person in that room were the very ones who were criticizing Jesus for eating with sinners. You know what the difference between the Pharisee and the sinners and publicans were? The sinners and the publicans knew they were sinners and had no problem admitting it. And the Pharisees died in their sin. Big difference. A businessman well known for his ruthlessness once announced to writer Mark Twain, before I die, I mean to make a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. I will climb Mount Sinai and read the Ten Commandments aloud at the top. I have a better idea, replied Twain. You could stay in Boston and keep them. Hello? <laughs> right? Stay home, save your money, and try keeping those commandments. Matthew's guests knew they were sinners. And Jesus made it clear, that's the people I came for. Now, were the Pharisees invited? Yeah, but they didn't think they were sinners. I didn't come for you righteous people, you self-righteous people. By the way, write this down, and then I'm done. I'm going to close some lyrics I thought very helpful to wrap this up today. Write it down. Jesus will not help those who help themselves. Write it down. Jesus will not help those who help themselves. If you're relying on you 
and your good deeds, Jesus can't help you. If you are the self-righteous in here today, God's got nothing to say to you. Yet. Oh, but one day he'll have a list. Not about your works. Not about what you've done. It's what he's done for you. I want to conclude with the words of a song by Casting Crowns um, called Jesus, Friend of Sinners. You all know this song? I don't. Um, no, I, 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 don't, I don't listen to a lot of contemporary uh, Christian music. Um, and I'm not, I'm not against it necessarily. I uh, just, um, that's just not my, I don't listen to a lot of music, period. But I don't know the song, but I love the lyrics. I love it. Listen to what it says. Jesus, friend of sinners, we have strayed so far away. We cut down people in your name by a sword. It was never ours to swing. Jesus, friend of sinners, the truth's become so hard to see. The world is on their way to you, but they're tripping over me. Always looking around, but never looking up. I'm so double-minded. A plank-eyed saint with dirty hands and a heart divided. Isn't that us? Oh, Jesus, friend of sinners. Open our eyes to the world at the end of our pointing fingers. Let our hearts be led by mercy. Help us reach with open hearts and open doors. Oh, Jesus, friend of sinners, break our hearts. For what breaks yours? Yes, Jesus, friend of sinners. The one who's writing in the sand, make the righteous turn away and the stones fall from their hands. Help us to remember we are all the least of thieves. Let, your, let, the, mercy, let the memory of your mercy bring your people to their knees. No one knows what we're for, only against when we judge the wounded. What if we put down our signs, crossed over the lines, and loved like you did? Oh, Jesus, friend of sinners, open our eyes to the world at the end of our pointing fingers. Let our hearts be led by mercy. Let us reach with open hearts and open doors. Oh, Jesus, friend of sinners, break our hearts for what breaks yours. Jesus did not call, come to call the self-righteous, because they don't need him. But oh, broken people do and they know it. Is that you today? Was that not us? Were we not the broken people? Some of you still are, and you need to come to Christ today. You need to repent today. Today is the day of salvation. Amen? Today is the day to say, I would have been at that dinner. I'm an outsider and he came for me, and I admit it. I got a sin problem, and I cannot, I am powerless to help myself. But oh, he is powerful to save. He is mighty to save. Amen, church. The sinless one dying for the sinful one. Taking my sin into himself, bearing the eternal penalty so that I might have right standing with God. That's what I command you to repent of today. Believe and continue to follow him every day of your life. That's the kingdom gospel this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you.
loving you, thanking you, that you would call a guy like Matthew, Levi. And that he would respond by chucking it all, just throwing it all away and saying, yep, I'm, I am following to the day that I die, not even knowing that that would be a martyr's death. But he traded in the temporary for the eternal that day because you called. And Lord, maybe there's one, just one here today who you're calling to do that. You're calling them to trade in this world for the next. Their sin for a savior. Their transformation from sinner to saint. Oh, would you bring us to you with broken hearts today? And in a moment as we remember your sacrifice through these elements. May you meet with us. May you remind us of what is true and what is real and what is right. And may we rejoice. May we not take this lightly. But somberly and seriously, as we remember the price that was paid and our duty and delight to follow in the dust of our King. Open us to repentance today. Hear our cry. Have mercy and grace on your children.